Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. (laughs) Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Of course! I'm always ready to go on an adventure with you! All right, let's give it a whirl. Okay, let's do that. And I just want to take a minute to say hello, everyone. I have been meeting so many awesome people at the fairs in Texas, Chandler. They are amazing. There are people I want to say hi to, like Tammy and Jessica. And Michael is in Ireland. So I'm really excited because I'm going to be doing a a chart reading for Michael. And uh, so this is our first international um um guest to have and so there's a lot going on it's very exciting uh yes uh hello to all those uh if you are uh finding out about our podcast for the first time by uh meeting uh, my mom in person and uh, now you are listening to us uh, that is great uh, we welcome you <laughs> uh and uh, for all those if uh, you've been listening for a long time now or if this is your first episode uh welcome uh, so uh, the way that we do things here uh, is that uh, in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, she will then input that data into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. Uh, she will then do her best to uh, give us a blind reading of this chart, uh, telling us what she can about the person's uh, motivations, characteristics, fortunes of our mystery history guest. Uh, I will then reveal to her uh, who our mystery history guest is and uh, give a little background about the person. And then we'll come together at the end and figure out uh, how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, so without any further ado, let us begin. All right, let's go. Uh, this is a male. All right. Uh, born on the 27th mm-hmm. of June. All right. 1930. Okay. Do we have a time? 
We do. <gasps> I'm so happy. 5.34 a.m. All right. Okay. And where in the world? Of the United States. All right. And what place? Texarkana, Texas. Texarkana. All right. Okay, so let's see if this person has any interceptions. Mm, see this? Mm-hmm. It's going to come over here, see? So this person has an interception in their eighth house in Aquarius, and in their second house in Leo. Uh, this interception is going to affect uh, how they deal with valuables and money, especially since um, they have Venus in Leo there. And it's also going to affect how they deal with groups of people, but in their eighth house in um, Aquarius, which has the interception. So... They don't have an Aquarius house cusp and they don't have a Leo house cusp. So that's very interesting. Um, okay. Let me see. Actually, uh, they have two Leo house cusps. <laughs> I'm working on this. I am really doing my best. I'm able to now recognize when there is one. But uh, I have to really work at it. So, okay. My mistake. They do have uh, their first house cusp is Cancer. Their second house cusp is Cancer. And their third, I mean, their, their second house cusp is Leo. And their third house cusp is Leo. Their fourth house cusp is Virgo. And their fifth house cusp is Libra. And their sixth house cusp is Sagittarius. So what they do not have, what they have two of is Leo and two Aquarius. What they do not have is the Scorpio and the Taurus. Okay. I stand corrected. I'm having a hard time with uh, remembering all these different intricate details about this, but it's something that I feel is a challenge and I really want to get to where I can learn how to do it fairly well. But um, just recognizing them is interesting. So in this situation, their, um, their, their issues could be with the 11th house, which is groups of people, right? And their fifth house, which is ruled by Leo and the sun, their 11th house is ruled by um, Uranus and Aquarius, right? So what they don't have is access to this Taurus and access to this uh, uh, Scorpio, which can sometimes be um, assisted by Scorpio people and Taurus people. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is just like a little overview. I'm not going to read the chart with the interceptions per se. We're just going to remember that this person doesn't have a Taurus house cusp and they don't have a um, Scorpio house cusp. And guys, I'll keep working on this until I get it, <laughs> until I get it down. But uh, let me go back and pull it up as an equal house chart. 
because I just want to make sure that I can go through and uh, see what it looks like with everything in the houses where they go. Okay. So let's start with um, the planets. All right. So this person has sun at five degrees cancer, moon at 17 degrees cancer, Mercury at 16 degrees Gemini, Venus at 9 degrees Leo, Mars at 17 degrees Taurus, Jupiter at 0 degrees Cancer, Saturn at 8 degrees Capricorn, Uranus at 15 degrees Aries, Neptune at 1 degree Virgo, Pluto at 18 degrees Cancer, North Node at 0 degrees Taurus, Chiron at 17 degrees Taurus, and they have Cancer rising. So this person has a stellium of Cancer planets, okay? They have Jupiter at, at zero, Sun at five, their ascendant is at nine, their moon is at 17, and their Pluto is at 18. All in Cancer. Wow. That is a lot of Cancer. Um, that is, uh, very, it, it should be a very, I want it, a very giving person. It should be a very nurturing person. Um, I mean, that is a lot because then they have, it, see, because it's everything, it's all conjunct Jupiter, so it's so much cancer. It should be so much emotion with Jupiter and the sun and the ascendant and moon, which is emotion and ruled by cancer, and Pluto, which is death and rebirth, in the first house, which is a lot of power and changes the jupiter and the sun are in the 12th house which is karmic and uh it it, it can be literally like institutions like schools or, or or prisons or things like that but it can also deal some with uh with international travel and especially with Jupiter there, and also uh, psychic abilities and um, intuition and uh, imagination, all those things that are ruled by Neptune, you know, because Pisces rules the 12th house. Is any of this making sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then in the second house, uh, which is ruled by Leo, we have Venus in at, at nine degrees Leo. And then we have Neptune in the second house, but it's at one degree Virgo. So this is very interesting. Why am I? Oh, because I made it equal houses. That's why. Okay. Because once I made it equal houses, then all the houses had the same degree. All right. Because I was like, wait a minute. There's an interception here. 
<laughs> so this person with their interception would have had extra Leo. Extra Leo and extra Sag extra Aquarius, which is very interesting because with with Venus in the second house in Leo, they should have had a very um extravagant way of presenting their valuables or earning money through entertainment or entertaining or uh, being a leader. They could have been a leader, but this is Venus in a house that's ruled by Venus, right? So they should have had good luck with finances and money, how they make money. And they should have been creative with it because Neptune and Virgo must be creative with work. Otherwise, it's kind of like having Neptune in Virgo is, uh, it, it, Neptune in Virgo is, is confusing because Virgos want to be very precise, right? And Neptune is fluid and Pisces and it rules Pisces and it's water, you know? So it takes a little bit of that, uh, um, uh, preciseness away. Okay. And, um, I'm, I'm thinking that it lent to this person's creativity because I think this person was very creative. Um, if they weren't, then they had a very creative way of going around things that weren't creative. But, um, then their third house is ruled by Scorpio. There's nothing in that, but they would, oh, I'm sorry. Third house is ruled by Virgo. And uh, fourth house is ruled by Libra. There's nothing in these houses, but having the third house ruled by Virgo, uh, it is um, a very communicative person. This person should have been able to communicate very well and even communicate in, in an imaginative way, you know, to be to be creative and be um, you know, like a storyteller and, and, and be a, a literal, like a writer or an author maybe. And then the fourth house is ruled by Libra. There's nothing in the fourth house, but, uh, their house would have been, I am going to say really elegant and pretty and, um, uh, very comfortable, you know, uh, it's Venus, right? So it would have been kind of a, a, a good loving atmosphere. And then the fifth house is ruled by Scorpio. There's nothing there because this person has a stellium in cancer. So, uh, the fifth house is ruled by Scorpio. Um, they possibly could have had, maybe they don't have anything in there, but, uh, fifth house is ruled by Leo and the sun. And with them having Scorpio in the fifth house, it is a little bit brighter, you know, than, uh, the hidden things that Scorpio has or the, um, uh, uh, way that Scorpios can be private, you know, maybe it lit it up a little bit more, but they might've been very private maybe in the romance and, uh, and the activities that they like to do for fun, maybe. And then uh, they have uh, Sagittarius on the sixth house, which would have given them a fairly um, 
gregarious way of looking at their day to day, uh, sort of uh, making it an adventure, or also maybe they travel a lot for their work is possible. Um, they have Saturn and Capricorn in the sixth house. So that would have made them a serious worker, you know, uh, it would have made them maybe somehow they travel for their business because Saturn and Capricorn would make you pretty businessy, uh, serious businessy. But all, this Saturn is opposing, and I don't normally go into oppositions and squares and stuff. It's opposing this, uh, their ascendant and their sun. And it's opposing almost all of this by degree, all of this cancer. So there's something going on with this person regarding work and their entire personality and everything that makes up their emotions and their personal being and and their everything okay what do you mean by like there's a conflict between it or well what? what an opposition does is it lends energy to that so somehow all of this personality has to do with all of this work in this business and then this business has to do with all of this personality does that make sense because this person has this um, Saturn is like structure and lessons and, um, restricting, you know, and then this person has all this cancer that this is opposing, right? So there's energy there. There is a, there is a, it, I mean, but it can be good, you know, it just depends on all the rest of the, the person's personality, you know? Um, okay. And then, uh, so, uh, Capricorn on the seventh house, which would be, you know, personal relationships, romantic relationships. There's nothing in that house, but, um, they do have Saturn in the sixth house in Capricorn. So, I mean, Capricorns can be when they're good, they can be very dedicated and, um, uh, faithful, you know, they can be very good if they, if they want to, uh, it, it, it makes them that Saturn makes them want to commit, you know, and then eighth house in Aquarius, uh, would give them, uh, a, 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 a different way of looking at things that other people might think are, maybe even darker topics. You know what I mean? Like they would look at a darker topic because the eighth house is, um, hidden things, uh, taboo things, uh, legacy, um, you know, all of those Scorpio things. Right. But it's, they have Aquarius on that house cusp, which is going to make them be a little bit lighter with those things. It's a different way of looking at it. Maybe even, um, you know, the person who does something, they're like, too soon? Is it too soon? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it might be too soon for that. But um, then they have their midhaven in Pisces in the ninth house. Your midhaven is kind of your career and uh, 
it, it is. It's your career because it, it, it can either fall usually in the ninth or the tenth house. This person has it falling in the ninth house in Pisces. Um, their philosophies and their uh, ninth house is, is your dogma, your philosophies, your religion. It's ruled by Sagittarius and it's ruled by Jupiter. Higher education, world travel, all of these things, but ruled by Pisces, which makes it more, I want to say, kind of easy, you know. But, I mean, Pisces, the whole Piscean age is the whole, you know, uh, coming in with the authority and, 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 and uh, you know, like 2,000 years ago with, with Christianity and all that. So there could be uh, a serious connection to this person's philosophies and how they believe and what you know what religion how religion plays in their life and then their 10th house which is the house of career and they have the north node there at zero degrees taurus in their 10th house and they also have uranus in aries in their 10th house so Uranus in Aries is going to be uh, fiery, unexpected changes, and it's going to have to do with career. Um, it can also be unique, a unique way of uh, approaching your career. They have North Node and Taurus there, so their career is connected to their direction, their purpose in this life. And they should be, if they're following their North Node, they should be very determined and very um, much a hard worker in their career. Um, then in the 11th house, we have Chiron at 17 degrees conjunct Mars at 17 degrees. And uh, in the 11th house, this is... Um, Mars is your direction, your passion, your uh, sexuality, and it's in Taurus, so it's very um, connected to the senses, you know, like like visceral, like it is part of you, part of the body, you know. Um, and then uh, Chiron is the wounded healer. Chiron in Taurus would be... Um, issues with perhaps like not enough food in another life or not enough food growing up. And then this person is healing the groups of people, right? Because it's the 11th house uh, and very passionate about healing groups of people, perhaps with... um commodities food um things that come from the earth maybe i don't know I, I maybe i'll know if i know who this person is and then this person has mercury and gemini in the 12th house which gives them a very powerful voice they should have been able to communicate very well and it is what they're supposed to do they are supposed to communicate because it's it's karma. It's the 12th house. So is this making sense? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Do you have any questions? 
Yes. Uh, what do you think they do for a living? Wow. This could be anything. I mean, it's, it's all that, all that cancer is so nurturing and so watery, you know? Um, but then they have Saturn and Capricorn. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, it's really hard to gauge. And it's, this is really one that I'm kind of stumped with. Um, something that soothes people, maybe, maybe they're a singer, something that, um, somehow can soothe people and like maybe soothe their body, soothing their, um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they could be a very good business person. How far off am I? <laughs> um, I, I think when you find out who it is, uh, the idea of it, of of him being a singer, uh, will have you uh, laughing oh, no. as much as me. Oh, but no. um, uh, I, I think you came back around to it with that second one. With the second one, the businessman. Yes. Okay. Well, Saturn and Capricorn—that would be the logical choice. But I mean, that's a lot of cancer, you know. I kind of mm-hmm. want to say they, you know, they could be, they could also be funny, you know, but, uh, yeah, all of this business is connected to all of this in the first house, all the power, everything, right? It's like, it's like a tuning fork. Does that make sense for all this? Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, I'll go with the business because here we have North Node in the 10th house of career in Taurus and Uranus and Aries, uh, but it should be something creative, something creative having to do with philosophies or creativity. And, uh, so, okay. Do you have any other questions? Uh, how would he do in a debate? Oh, he should be great in a debate, really, because he's got uh, Mercury and Gemini in the 12th house. I would think he would be very good in a debate. Persuasive. Oh, he could. Yeah. I mean, he should be able to. Like, make the words dance. You know what I mean? You have Mercury and Gemini. You could talk. You you can you can walk and talk and chew gum and spin plates all at the same time. Mercury and Gemini is about as fast as you can get unless you have Mercury and Virgo, which is a different animal though, because Mercury and Virgo is not as improv-y. You know what I mean? Um How would he express his anger? Hmm. It could be bad. It could be bad. He's got Mars in Taurus, okay? Mars in Taurus is very, it can be very uh, 
very intense. Um, Mars and Aries wants to light things on fire. Uh, Mars and Taurus wants to trample them to the ground. So when you have people who have Mars and Taurus, I mean, of all Mars in Virgo and Mars in Capricorn have nothing on Mars on, in Taurus. You have, you know, some, some issues with people who have Mars in Taurus, Mars in Scorpio, Mars in Aries, Mars in Sagittarius. Um, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Also, if uh, his career is business, he could have lightning reflexes in business from this Uranus in Aries. What would he do if uh, he felt insulted? Get revenge, but in a not like a Scorpio way. Like if he felt insulted, first of all, probably would make it clear, like would communicate that this was not, um, not correct, you know, like this was not deserved. This was not correct. Something along that line. And with Mercury and Gemini, he has the ability to um, react across all the media if he wants to. And all this cancer does a lot of claws. That's a lot of clicky claws. You know what I mean? Is he thin-skinned? I would say that he wears his emotions more out there than the average person but i'm not i'm not saying that i mean you're gonna know if you do something wrong to this person you know it isn't going to be something that they're going to be quiet about they're not going to not react I can't imagine that they would, not with all of this cancer in, you know, that's a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion. How would groups of people respond to him? I would think that groups of people would respond well to him. You know, he's got Mars and Chiron in the 11th house. Somehow the things that he does helps people. Or makes them feel better. Or, you know, they think he's doing something good. I think. I mean, the other side of that would be that he would be super horribly selfish. And self-indulgent. You know what I mean? The dark side of that. What is his relationship to luck? Well, is Jupiter at the head of this entire stellium in Cancer. So wherever you have Jupiter is where your luck is, right? So he has everything he has is connected to his Jupiter and his luck, and it's in the 12th house. So I would think he would be lucky. Like weirdly lucky. Because it's karmic. It's the 12th house. How would he do with money? Well, he has Venus in Leo in the second house. 
So the second house is ruled by Taurus, which is ruled by Venus. And if you have Venus in the second house, you should not have a lot of issues with money. You know, you should, you should, money should flow to this person. It's gifted. Venus is gifted. You know what I mean? It's not Jupiter. It's not just running wild, but it seems like it's doing okay. I will say they also have Neptune in the second house, which could make them less, um, detailed with their money. You know what I mean? Or more imaginative Less. with their money. They could they could make money in creative ways. <laughs> I'm very nervous about this one because that's a lot of cancer. How would you describe his personality? From this, I would think that this person should have a really good personality. Unless they're the opposite and they're like Mr. Krabby. You know, if they're very crabby. But... Uh, with Mercury and Gemini, I mean, unless they're just going to yell at stuff, but that would be more kind of uh, <laughs> like Sagittarius. So uh, I would think this person had a good personality. Kind of a fun personality, a watery personality, maybe. Um, but then again, they have this Saturn in, in Capricorn on the other side. That is like a tuning fork to all this, you know, so it could, this possibly could tone this down a little bit, but maybe this needs to be toned down a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. What kind of leader would he be? Mm, he could be a good leader. Uh, he has North Node in Taurus in the 10th house. I would think that that would make him even a leader in his career, you know? Taurus is a good place to have North Node, I think. He also does have this Uranus there, which could change things unexpectedly in his career, depending on where all the aspects are, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Do you think you would find him more at home at a country club or at a Cracker Barrel? <laughs> well, I, I want to lean towards the Cracker Barrel. But, I mean, that Saturn and Capricorn in the sixth house is day to day. So that could up, up the ante a little bit. But the, all that cancer should be homey, you know, like like to be homey. And and uh, so I lean towards home, homey. Are there any other uh, final first impressions that you have from this chart? I think I would like this person. I think I would enjoy them. I think that they would be. Um, comfortable and smart and mm, creative. 
<laughs> I'm so nervous. I think I'm very wrong. <laughs> well, at this time, I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. Okay. So the first thing that you said is that uh, this person would be very giving, mm -hmm. a very nurturing person. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a lot of emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a lot of power and uh, lots of changes happen in their life. Mm -hmm. uh, there could be a lot of international travel mm -hmm. in their life. They could possibly have a, a psychic or a intuition about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, they might have an extravagant way of earning money. Mm -hmm. They could be a leader. They have good luck with money. Uh, they are creative with their work. Very creative. Mm -hmm. This is a very communicative person. Uh, they can communicate in an imaginative way. They would be a good storyteller. They would have a pretty or an elegant house. Mm -hmm. They could be very private in romance and in their personal life. Mm -hmm. uh, they would be gregarious in their day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. uh, they could have lots of travel in their life. Mm -hmm. He would be a serious worker. Mm -hmm. uh, there would be a lot of travel for business. Mm -hmm. And uh, he could be very serious about business. Mm -hmm. Uh, his personality and his work and career, they feed each other. Mm -hmm. uh, he would be dedicated and faithful mm -hmm. in relationships. Mm -hmm. He has a unique perspective on darker aspects or taboo aspects of life. Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, could have a serious connection with his philosophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, there could be fiery, unexpected changes. Mm -hmm. uh, he would have a unique approach to his career. Mm -hmm. His career is connected to his direction. Mm -hmm. He would be a determined worker. Mm -hmm. uh, there would be uh, possibly early in his life or in a past life issues with not enough food mm -hmm. and that he would overcome this and be able to heal groups of people with food mm -hmm. and things, resources from the earth. Mm -hmm. He would have a powerful voice. Mm -hmm. uh, he would communicate well. And communication is his purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh in terms of a possible career, uh, he uh, would be involved in soothing people, possibly <laughs> as a singer. Uh, he would be a very good businessman. Uh -huh. uh, he could be funny. Uh -huh. uh, he would be great in a debate, uh -huh. persuasive. Uh, he can make words dance. Uh -huh. uh, he could have an intense anger. Uh, he would have lightning reflexes in business. Mm -hmm. Uh, he would be able to communicate when he was insulted mm -hmm. and be able to react across all the media. Mm -hmm. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. Mm -hmm. Groups of people respond well to him. Mm -hmm. He helps people. Mm -hmm. He could possibly be self-indulgent, mm -hmm. uh, but he would be very lucky, uh, weirdly lucky. Mm -hmm. Money flows to this person. Mm -hmm. uh, he might be less detailed about the money, mm -hmm. but he could make this money in creative ways. Mm -hmm. 
He'd be, uh, he could have a really good personality or be uh, kind of crabby. <laughs> uh, he could be fun or watery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be a good leader in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would probably choose a Cracker Barrel over a country club. Uh-huh. Um, you would like mm-hmm. him. Uh, he is comfortable, smart, and creative. Mm-hmm. Anything that I left out? No, I'm nervous. <laughs> Are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at? Yes. This is the astrological birth chart of Ross Perot. No, you are kidding me. Oh my gosh. Well, that makes perfect sense. I'm just going to (laughs) say that makes perfect sense. Ross Perot would let you know immediately if you had insulted him. Mm-hmm. And he always wanted true. to get a word in edgewise. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, this whole business thing, if he did not have this Saturn in Capricorn, I don't know what he would be. Okay. Because this totally is like a tuning fork for all this. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh-huh. maybe not a singer. But, I mean, I think he did. I don't know. He made me feel good. <laughs> I felt good. I liked him. I mean, I thought he was cool. Um, I'm very excited to hear about Ross Perot. <laughs> uh, so, uh, for those of you who are not uh, familiar, uh, Ross Perot uh, is um, the most successful third-party candidate of the 20th century for the <laughs> office of President of the United States. Uh, at least by terms of popular vote, uh, no other candidate uh, got even close to the amount of votes that he did in the 1992 presidential election. Uh, in fact, he's the only third candidate who, in early polling, w- was defeating both the major candidates, uh, George Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton. Um, and uh, he electrified uh, the media uh, through his um, appearances on uh, in the presidential debates and on uh, the Larry King uh, show on CNN uh, and uh, had a very unique perspective on the ills of society uh, in America mm-hmm. in the early 1990s. Um, so his story begins, uh, he was born Henry Ross Perot. Uh, he was born in June of 1930 in uh, uh, Texarkana, Texas. He was born uh, just five blocks from the uh, line that separates Texas and Arkansas. Uh, and he was born to uh, Lula and Gabriel Perot. Uh, Gabriel uh, was a cotton broker, uh, so he had a house, a cotton house, and he would um, buy the cotton from the uh, local farmers. And uh, he was always known for making a good deal, uh, that uh, all of the uh, farmers would want to go to uh, Perot's business first mm-hmm. uh, to try and sell their cotton because he would always give them a solid mm-hmm. deal. Uh, there was a sign uh, that he would post uh, outside of his uh, cotton house uh, that says... Uh, Uh, You can't eat it, so you might as well sell it. (laughs) Uh, 
Ross Perot uh, learned uh, right at his father's knee uh, the uh, uh, good ways, the good practices of business, how you treat customers, uh, how uh, you uh, capitalize on your investments. Uh, he would uh, go to school, and then uh, immediately once he came back from school, uh, his uh, dad would take him uh, to the uh, different livestock auctions. And uh early on started to give Ross Perot money uh, to buy things that he would then need to turn a profit mm-hmm. on. Uh, so uh, he would start uh, by selling uh, bridles for horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would buy the bridles at $3 and sell the bridles for $3.50. All right. And then uh, he would uh, continuously work up from the uh, bridles to harnesses and uh, then uh, to livestock, to chickens and horses. And the deal that he always had with his father is that his father would give him the initial investment in the morning Mm -hmm. and that he could not take any livestock back home with him. He had to have profit Uh to take back home Uh with him. And so that gave him a a very good uh, lesson in business and day trading and how you capitalize on an investment, how you may even sell something for a little less than it might be worth so that you know what you have when you're taking it back home with you. Wow, that's And he was learning this from a very, very young age. Everyone should do this. (laughs) (laughs) I Uh, wish I had taught you this, Chandler. And... uh, Inside of of his home, uh, the older sister was the one who was uh, far better behaved and did far better in school. Uh, And so whenever uh, the teachers that uh, Ross Perot had had previously had uh, uh, the sister, uh, they would always say, why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you uh, behave and do your studies like your sister? But he had no interest in in, uh, studies. He was much more interested in the wheeling and the dealing that his father was doing. He was also, uh, from an early age, uh, um, anything to try and make money in this uh, Depression era Mm -hmm. Texas, uh, he would... uh, uh, he started breaking horses, uh, and because he was so short, he was able to break them when they were so much younger, when they were just ponies. Uh-huh. Uh, and he learned from an early age uh, not to uh, let the horse buck, uh, because it bucked him a few time, a few more times than he would have liked, and that's how he got such a distinctive shape on his nose, uh, is from all the times that he landed on his nose uh, from the ponies bucking him. But he learned how to break the horse, how to do it before the horse even knew what was happening, Mm -hmm. and then he started making profits that Mm -hmm. way. Um. He had a neighbor who uh, went to the Naval Academy, and even though he had lived in Texas and Arkansas his whole life, um, he was uh, obsessed with the idea of the ocean and mm-hmm. uh, and ships and going out onto sea, uh, and so uh, he uh, very much wanted to go into the Naval Academy, and he applied several times, uh, but never uh, uh, he he was not accepted right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, before I go more into his, uh, subsequent studies, there's one more story that comes from his early childhood, uh, and that was his first real consistent job as a newspaper boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, selling, uh, papers on a paper route, uh, was a popular, uh, occupation for many, uh, young boys, uh, in the, uh, Great Depression. And, uh, the first year, uh, he started selling these papers and he had a very good route. It would take him through all of the major areas of Texarkana. Uh, he, uh, 
could detail to you uh, how uh, when you turned each block, you visited a different segment of society. Uh, so you'd see all of the uh, businesses, and then you'd turn a block, and there'd be all the houses of prostitution, Ooh. and then you'd turn a block, and there'd be the Catholic priest, okay. and then you'd turn a block, and there'd be uh, the African-American professionals, uh, dentists, and doctors, and that he really got to see all of uh, the segments of life in Texarkana mm-hmm. during doing this job Mm -hmm. well the next year comes around and all of the good routes have been taken up and uh ross perot is determined uh to uh, have a a newspaper route and they say well there is this one route but you have to get on a horse in order to to go out there and it's to the poorest neighborhoods and we're not even sure that they all know how to read so we really don't send anybody out there and well young ross perot said well give me the papers and i'll sell those papers Mm -hmm. And so he would go what it was called New Town. Uh, and so this was the poorest whites and the poorest blacks in Texarkana. Mm-hmm. And even though not all of them could read, uh, Ross Perot was still able to sell them newspapers. I bet. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the roads were all sand, so he had to go out there on his horse and sell these papers. And because this route was so um, untraveled, uh, the way that the profits were split uh, was different. Uh, so in an ordinary town, uh, in ordinary uh, paper routes, uh, they would split it, uh, the the profits, the paper cost a quarter. And uh, seven and a half cents of that quarter would go to the newspaper boy. Mm-hmm. And the 17 and a half cents would go to the publisher. Mm-hmm. Well, they made a deal with Ross uh, Perot that because he's going out there to this uh, more dangerous neighborhood and there's less likely a chance of him selling papers, that they would reverse it. Ooh. And he would get the 17 and a half cents and the publisher would get the seven and a half All cents. Right. So he does very well on this paper route. So well that the publisher starts to renege on the deal. And they say that they're going to pay him the same as every Uh other newspaper uh boy. And he sees this as a way of getting punished for his success. That he made this route successful. Mm -hmm. No one else was able to do that before. Mm Uh, so uh, Ross Perot was not one uh, to uh, bandy about uh, when uh, he felt insulted. Uh, in <laughs> fact, he took his complaints as a young fourteen-year-old uh, to the very top, uh, to uh, the uh, main uh, publisher of uh, the uh, newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, who coincidentally was a man that he had rescued uh, from being trapped in his office just a week prior. Oh my. So he opened the door and uh, the publisher said, yeah, I remember you. You're the boy who got me out of my office when I was locked mm-hmm. in. And uh, young Ross Pro said, well, uh, you're trying to renege me on my mm-hmm. deal because I've been successful mm-hmm. and I don't like that mm-hmm. and it's not good That's business. That's right. And uh, the publisher said, well, I'll look into it. And uh, the next week, he was paid exactly the way that he was supposed to be paid and uh, was uh, so uh, for the rest of his career at the newspaper. That's good. Uh, And uh, he made such an uh, impact on those uh, poor families in Newtown Mm -hmm. that years and years later, whenever he would return back, uh, there would be uh, people who would come out of their houses. And even though he was now this multimillionaire computer executive, they would look out of their houses and say, that's my newspaper boy. <laughs> That's my newspaper boy. Uh, so uh, uh, 
Ross Perot graduates high school. He goes to junior college in Texarkana uh, because he doesn't think that he's going to get this appointment to the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, three years after graduating high school, uh, he does get the appointment into the Naval Academy. Uh-huh. And so he is sent to Annapolis. And uh, he uh, is sent there uh, on his uh, 19th birthday in 1949. Uh, Ross Perot had a uh, tremendous career in the Naval Academy. Uh, He was consistently voted amongst his peers as being uh, the uh, best leader among them. They would uh, have this vote that was taken up and then they would post uh, the results of this vote on the bulletin board uh, outside the administration office. And even though he didn't even know that these votes were even taken place at first, he consistently saw himself at the top of this list every year. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was also uh, voted in charge of the Honor Society. Uh, and he took this uh, uh, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, uh, there was uh, this son of a wealthy businessman uh, who uh, was not following uh, the orders uh, that he was given. He was uh, being insubordinate. Mm-hmm. And uh, inside the ranks of the Navy, they were looking at um, not uh, doing anything about it, of letting it slide mm-hmm. because uh, he was the son of this wealthy mm-hmm. businessman. And so uh, Ross Perot went uh, to uh, the commanding admiral and he said, I'm going to resign mm-hmm. as the head of the Honor Society. Mm-hmm. And the admiral wanted to know why. And he said, because of this situation with this young boy who is being insubordinate, mm-hmm. who is uh, not following the rules and that uh, you all are letting this <laughs> That's slide. That's right. And so uh, the admiral said, well, don't do anything too hasty. And uh, he kicked the other boy mm-hmm. out of the academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Perot continued to serve uh, as the head of the Honor Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, graduated uh, the Naval Academy in, a- in Annapolis, uh, and uh, it was uh, his parents' pride and joy. They made the long car ride from Texarkana to Maryland, mm. uh, and uh, for his father to see him achieve uh, this a great honor that uh, he had been working so hard for his son to achieve uh, really meant something mm-hmm. to uh, young Ross Perot. And uh, they said the next day, we're going to take you, Dad. We're going to take you to see New York City because we're just uh, we're, we're very close to it. So we'll drive up. And uh, they took the dad up to New York City. And after one day, uh, dad said, OK, I'm ready to go back to Texarkana <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. Been there, done that. Um, uh, Ross Perot, uh, before graduating, he had a blind date uh, in 1952 uh, with a woman named uh, Margot Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And uh, she didn't care too much uh, for him. Um, all, all she could really say is that he was very clean, mm-hmm. um, but uh, she made quite the impression on him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would go on uh, to have a, a career in the Navy. Uh, he would be a lieutenant. He would serve on destroyers and on aircraft carriers, all the while thinking of Margo. Uh-oh. And uh, so in uh, 1956, uh, prior to him being uh, discharged from uh, the Navy, uh, they got married. Mm-hmm. Uh 
his career in the Navy, uh, he uh, was uh, serving, uh, he got to see uh, the world. As they say, join the Navy, see the world. Uh, he visited over 22 countries mm-hmm. uh, on a naval destroyer. Uh, and uh, he always asked to have uh, shore patrol so that he could go out into uh, these foreign countries and see how they conducted business and see uh, how they related to each other. Uh, and uh, he would later go on to serve uh, on an aircraft carrier as a navigator and uh, it was his job to be uh, with the uh, commanding officer uh, on uh, the uh, uh, the the flight deck uh, at the controls day and night mm-hmm. and uh Towards the end of his service, there was an executive from IBM who came and visited uh, the uh, uh, aircraft carrier. And he knew how to do every single job on the boat except how to be a navigator. So the executive uh, was right at Ross Perot's side uh, seeing how he did his job. And at the end of the trip, the executive said, well, when you get out of the Navy, uh, I'd like to offer you a job at IBM. Mm-hmm. And Ross Pro said, well, sir, uh, I've been working uh, since I was seven years mm-hmm. old. And all this time, I have been chasing after jobs. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, looking and, and uh, really striving and persevering mm-hmm. to get a job. Mm-hmm. I've never had one just straight up offered mm-hmm. me uh, before. Uh, but... Uh, even though I don't know what IBM is, <laughs> uh, I think I'll take okay. it. Okay. Uh, and so in 1957, uh, he was honorably discharged from the Navy, and uh, he and Margot uh, packed up uh, their uh, 1951 Packard, and they uh, drove to Dallas, uh, where uh, he became a salesman for IBM. Mm-hmm. And uh, he learned that that uh, stood for International Business Machines uh-huh. and that they sold computers. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Ross Pro was one of the best salesmen that IBM ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his first year, uh, he made his uh, yearly quota in just two weeks. Wow. Uh, he uh, was uh, very good at uh, selling these products and was a very hard worker. While all the other salesmen, uh, they would do just what they had to uh, from year to mm-hmm. year. Um, Ross Pro was always out trying to uh, sell these machines. Uh, and whenever he figured out a new way of doing things, uh, uh, he would bring it up to management, and management didn't really take these suggestions mm-hmm. seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, well, we're IBM. We're doing pretty good so far, mm-hmm. uh, youngster. <laughs> uh, I don't think we really need uh, these new ideas. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't quite like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after about uh, five years in uh, 1962, uh, he left IBM oh. and founded his own mm-hmm. company. Uh, electronic data systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, this had a very rough start. Uh, there were hundreds of potential customers uh, in the first uh, few months that uh, did not uh, ended up going to some other uh, firm. Uh, but eventually, through his uh, dogged determination, he was able to build this company and receive a lot of important government contracts selling them computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, once uh, Medicare uh, was created in the mid-60s, uh, they uh, had uh, EDS uh, uh, do all of the computing necessary for Medicare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Ross Perot was uh, made one of the uh, richest men in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, millions of dollars uh, coming through his business uh, every year. 
Uh, at the same time, uh, as we get into uh, the late 60s, uh, the Vietnam War is uh, raging. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ross Perot did not serve uh, in the conflict, but he had people in his company that did. Mm-hmm. And there were even some that were captured. And the wives of these uh, captured uh, prisoners uh, would come to him and say, we, we have no word. We don't know what's going on. Is he still alive? And this affected Ross Perot very mm-hmm. deeply. And so he started to organize relief efforts for the prisoners of war wow. in Vietnam. And he became, uh, uh, eventually the Nixon administration uh, had him uh, organize entirely on his own dime uh, these relief efforts to get these prisoners of war uh, vital uh, supplies that they would mm-hmm. need. Um, and the way uh, that this happened uh, was that Perot was going to exploit the fact that the rest of the world and even most of America, or at least the media in America, thought that the North Vietnamese were the good guys, mm-hmm. were these victims of American imperialism. Mm-hmm. And yet, when you look at how the North Vietnamese were treating American prisoners, uh, it was brutal, uh, uh, absolutely uh, uh, horrible uh, treatment. And so he was going to embarrass them on the international stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he brought all of the wives and the children of these uh, soldiers and uh, sent them to Paris for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was where uh, the North Vietnamese uh, were having these talks uh, with the United States about ending the war. And at the same time, uh, he sent cargo planes over to Laos, mm-hmm. uh, the country next to Vietnam, and um, with all the supplies that uh, these uh, prisoners of war desperately needed. Oh my gosh. Uh, And uh, a lot of these supplies start to get in, and even if the supplies didn't get in, what started to happen was the North Vietnamese started to take the prisoners out of their wretched conditions and put them into better conditions, knowing that American and international people were coming in to see the treatment of these Uh prisoners. Uh, so uh, even though not all of the efforts uh, were necessarily successful in getting supplies and getting these men out as quickly as we would have wanted, mm-hmm. the mere fact that he started doing this yeah. allowed for the better treatment of the service. Yes, men. that's amazing. Uh, so uh, he continued uh, working on this project uh, uh, throughout the duration of the war until uh, 1973. Uh, and in 1973, uh, he was intricately involved with uh, the uh, Laotians in uh, trying to get the American prisoners mm-hmm. out. And uh, the end of the Vietnam War was uh, concluded uh, in 1973 uh, between the Nixon administration and the uh, Paris Peace Accords. Uh, and a lot of the prisoners of war that were in Vietnam were released. Uh, in fact, that was a major part of holding out uh, the war was to make sure that all of the prisoners of war were released. Wow. Um, but uh, there were still hundreds that even though uh, they were still prisoners of war because they were in Laos and we hadn't actually declared war in Laos, um, they were not released. Uh, there were over 350 mm-hmm. American servicemen, uh, and uh, those men never returned. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and Ross Perot uh, spent the rest of his life uh, trying to either get those men back or try and get the whereabouts, mm-hmm. uh, see pictures of the graves, anything to give the family's closure yeah. about these men. Wow. And uh, he he was not able uh to to achieve that and that really um wrecked havoc on him for uh the rest of his mm-hmm. life and and really cemented in his idea of uh of of a government that was willing to leave these men behind mm-hmm. and and what because it was better for international diplomacy to forget about mm-hmm. them and that really uh, affected uh his uh, uh political mindset mm-hmm. in the years going forward um in uh, a similar instance, uh, the first hostages that were ever taken in Iran during the Iran hostage crisis happened a year before the ones that we all know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, in December of 1978, uh, there were hostages that were taken, and two of them uh, were employees of Ross Perot's <gasps> company, oh, EDS. No. Uh, as the revolution in Iran progressed, uh, Ross Perot thought, well, whoever gets in power, they're going to need computers. Mm-hmm. So we're going to sell computers to them. So we're not going to pull anybody mm-hmm. out. So uh, as the revolution uh, gained speed in Iran, uh, there, uh, two of these uh, employees were taken hostage and, and kept in prison. Uh, he went to the American authorities to try and get them out, but the Carter administration uh, was not willing or really able uh, to get uh, these uh, employees out. Mm-hmm. So he organized his own relief effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to many of the uh, former prisoners of war, uh, and uh, he got them uh, organized uh, under uh, Colonel uh, Bull Simmons uh, to have a uh, rescue effort. Uh, and as part of it, uh, Ross Perot went to Tehran uh, to try and be a decoy. The uh, Iranian officials uh, quickly put out uh, his picture saying, well, this is going to be a much better hostage to have Ross Perot than have these two other guys. So you need to capture this oh, guy. Wow. And uh, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how anybody in Tehran could have missed him because he was uh, five foot uh, with big ears <laughs> and spoke in a Texas accent. But somehow he evaded capture mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he was able to visit these two uh uh, employees mm-hmm. to make sure that they were still all right. And then he was able to get out. He was able to give all the information about the prison uh, to uh, the former uh, U.S. Army uh, uh, POWs. Mm-hmm. And they were able to organize a, a rescue mission where uh, they waited until uh, there was a, a mob that uh, attacked the prison to get everybody mm-hmm. out and then once they did that the two uh, employees came out and the uh, former uh, POWs were able to get those two employees and escort them back to Turkey and then get them back home to their mm-hmm. families uh, this was all the government paid nothing for this did nothing didn't really even want Perot to do it Perot did this entirely wow. out of his own pocket uh, and it was so important to him, and it was so important to his mother. In uh, 1979, his mother was dying of cancer, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it was she. She spent her last uh, words talking to Ross Perot about how to get these boys out of Iran. 
uh, and she did get to see uh, those uh, uh, employees come back to America, and then she died a few months later. Throughout uh, the 1980s, uh, his business continued uh, to grow, uh, and in uh, 1984, General Motors purchased um, Perot's company, EDS, for $2.4 billion. Wow. Uh at this, uh, in the mid '80s, um, the issue of the POWs in Vietnam came back again. Uh, the Reagan and Bush uh, administration uh, was uh, very interested in trying to make sure that all of those prisoners uh, that were uh, in uh, Vietnam and Laos were coming back, or we knew the whereabouts of mm-hmm. them. Uh, so they called again on Ross Perot, and he was the main diplomat in trying to get these efforts to find the whereabouts of these men. Uh, And when it came time in late 1987 uh, to try and uh, make this operation, to try and get uh, things secured, uh, Ross Pro was even willing to donate money to um, uh, Vietnam to get them schools and things um, in order to secure the release of whatever prisoners there still were. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Reagan and Bush administration uh, was not... uh, uh, it was no longer a cause that they were very uh, enthused about anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that point, they were embroiled with the um, Iran-Contra scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were so many uh, people in the administration that were changing jobs every uh, week or so uh, to try and protect uh, the Reagan administration from blame and all of this, uh, that this other issue that they had originally gotten Perot to do um, no longer uh, mattered much to them. Uh, this further uh, uh, put Perot off towards uh, the government uh, and especially uh, Reagan and George H.W. Bush. Um, in 1990, uh, when uh, Bush uh, was president and he starts the Desert Storm uh, operation in Kuwait, uh, Perot went on to Larry King Live uh, talking about how this was not right, that we should not be going into Kuwait at this time, that uh, there's going to be uh, thousands of men who are going to die, and God help us if they're taken prisoner, because the government's not going to do anything about it, because look at what we just did with Vietnam, and uh, he was became very vocal uh, in his opposition against Desert Storm. And this gave, gave him more and more notoriety. And then in February of 1992, he again uh, returned to Larry King and he announced his intention to run mm-hmm. for president of the United uh-huh. States. And he said that he was going to do so as a third mm-hmm. party and that he needed an operation to go into all 50 states to get him onto the ballot. Mm-hmm. And so an organization was created, and he was put onto the ballot in all 50 yes. states. Uh, in May uh, of 1992, uh, May through June, uh, Gallup polls consistently held Ross Perot uh, getting 39% of the vote, which in a three-way race would mean that he would have won. Uh, so uh, he was not just any third-party candidate. Right. He was actually pulling far more percentages than any other third party had ever done before. Yes. Uh, 1992 was a very 
uh, interesting election year, uh, having um, the sitting president, uh, George Bush, running for re-election in a sluggish economy, which many people blamed uh, on him and especially uh, his reneging on his promises of uh, no new taxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, you have Bill Clinton, who had all of his uh, scandals and things (laughs) going on. So people were looking for another option. Mm -hmm. And uh, for many, Ross Perot uh, was this other option, even if they didn't necessarily know what that option Mm -hmm. was. Uh, Ross Perot was very vague in his early days of the campaign as to what is actually different about Mm -hmm. him. Uh, All he uh, was really uh, detailed about uh, was the deficit, was the budget and the deficit spending. Mm -hmm. Uh, At that point, uh, the United States deficit was uh, $4 trillion. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was unheard of. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is over $30 trillion. Yes. Uh, but at that point, that was unheard of to have a $4 trillion deficit and that under Republicans or Democrats, they just keep spending and spending and they uh, are not raising taxes. They're not cutting on spending. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything to make this deficit go down and that this is going to bring the country into bankruptcy. This was what he was truly concerned about. His number one priority was to treat the country like it was a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to rein in the spending and to get the uh, budget and the uh, deficit back on track. Um, So uh, through uh, May and June, uh, he continues to ride high in the polls. Then at some point in July, uh, he decides that he's not going to run anymore. Uh, And he announces again on Larry King that... um, (laughs) First, he says that he's concerned about a three-way race going into the House of Representatives Mm -hmm. and that he wouldn't be treated fairly there, and so there's no point in him Mm -hmm. running. Then he says that the Bush campaign is going to doctor photos uh, of his daughter before her daughter's wedding and release them to the public. It's very unclear. Um, But uh, he decides in July that he's not going to run for president. Mm -hmm. Then in October, he decides that he is going to run for Mm -hmm. president. Uh, This on again, off again is one of the major reasons why his campaign sort of fizzled out, where he was hitting 30 to 39 percent in the polls. He then started to go down to 7 percent because nobody knew if he was actually being serious Mm -hmm. about this. But starting in October, he became much more serious about running for president and much more committed. Uh, so uh, he put in $12.5 million of his own mm-hmm. money uh, into purchasing network airtime. And he would put on these infomercials mm-hmm. uh, where he would uh, sit and talk to people. He had uh, just stacks and stacks and stacks of cards mm-hmm. that had pie charts on uh-huh. them and bar graphs about the deficit, yes. about the spending, uh, and tried to walk through his whole plan on what he would do if he was uh-huh. president. Uh, And it is really interesting to look at these documents, to look at these videos, which are all on YouTube Mm -hmm. now, and and see them with 30 years of hindsight. Uh, You can see that this is a very populist movement. Uh, This is uh, his main attraction was to lower and middle income families uh, and uh, that 
it came from liberals and and conservatives. It was this movement of a lot of people who were fed mm-hmm. up with the party politics as usual. Mm-hmm. And uh, he his solutions don't fit conveniently into the teams of Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks to people and he says uh, that uh, I'm going to institute a gas tax. The taxes have to go up. We're going to put a a fifty cent tax on the mm-hmm. gas, which in 1992 was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's going to go up uh, ten cents a year until it gets to fifty mm-hmm. cents, and that is going to get us enough money, uh, along with higher taxes on tobacco and these other things, uh, to uh, to try and get us more money so that we can uh, lower. Uh, the deficit mm-hmm. and that um, we have to balance the mm-hmm. budget. Uh, this ha- You can't just spend and spend like this. And this is a fault on both parties. Mm-hmm. He also goes after trickle-down economics a lot, uh, saying that it's only working for the mm-hmm. rich people, that it's not trickling mm-hmm. down. Uh, but he also goes against the Democrats with the tax and spend. So he truly was riding this middle mm-hmm. ground. Um, so uh, he takes out the uh, network time for these infomercials. And then uh, in October, we start having the presidential debates. Uh, as we go into the first presidential debate, he was polling at about 7 to 8% mm-hmm. in uh, the popular vote. Uh, most reporters say that Ross Perot won the first mm-hmm. debate. Uh, that's because if you watch it, uh, it's a lot of just... The the uh, anchorman, uh, the the uh, newspaper reporters asking these questions about uh, uh, Clinton and Bush, and because they're so focused on who they think are the two main candidates, mm-hmm. Perot doesn't have to say a whole lot except just exude his personality, mm-hmm. and people are so refreshed to not have this party politics as usual as they talk about uh, Bush is upset that Clinton uh, did demonstrations against Vietnam. Uh, when he was in college and that he thinks that that's a bad uh, sign on his character. Meanwhile, Perot is talking about, I don't care. We have to get the budget balanced. Mm-hmm. We have to do these actual things. We have to make the government mm-hmm. work. So a lot of people say that he won that first debate. He goes in with about 7%. He comes out having about 18% mm-hmm. of the popular vote. Uh It would be really interesting to see what the world would have looked like had he never uh, not had he never quit right. uh, in the summer of 1992. If he had ridden mm-hmm. that uh, 30% uh, percent, uh, into the fall, mm-hmm. could he have maintained that? Um, as you go into the election of 1992, uh, Ross Perot would come out of the election with 19% of the popular vote. That is more uh, votes uh, than any other third party candidate in the 20th century. Right. Uh, he did not get a single electoral vote, which other third parties had managed to mm-hmm. do. Uh, but it's very interesting to see a third party candidate who was so consistent uh, across the 50 states instead of focusing on one section over the mm-hmm. other. In some states, he actually came out in second, mm-hmm. um, but uh, he did not win any mm-hmm. state. Still, because of his performance in the 1992 election, uh, he was now eligible for federal funding for the 1996 mm-hmm. election. 
So he maintained his public presence. In 1993, uh, he goes on a campaign against NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. Um, he uh, is very opposed to this agreement, especially in regards to the relationship they would have between manufacturers uh, and uh, workers in Mexico and in the United States. And uh, there is, again, another uh, uh, appearance on Larry King, where Ross Perot uh, has a debate against Al Gore. Um, uh, this debate uh, almost makes Al Gore look like a real human <laughs> being and not a little wooden puppet. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, still, a lot of people point to this debate in Ross Perot's. Uh, this is the one where we get the, could you let me finish? Could you let me finish? Could you let me say just one sentence? Uh, and, uh, because of his performance, uh, on this debate on Larry King, um, the support for NAFTA goes through the roof. People do not like, uh, uh or at least that's what the polls were mm -hmm. saying is that people were very upset, uh, against Ross mm -hmm. Perot. Uh, and he does run again in 1996. He does do uh, somewhat well, but not nearly as well as he did in 92. Mm -hmm. He does not appear in any uh, presidential debates, um, but he gets about 8% of the popular vote in 1996. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of fades from the national political spotlight. Um, the legacy of Ross Perot continues, though. Um, you can see a lot of the things that he wanted come through in the contract with America in 1994. Mm -hmm. um, this balanced budget and uh, trying to get a hold of the deficit. Uh, th getting into the late 90s, the government would actually run on a surplus. Um, and so you can see that there the, was this grassroots effort um, that... Uh, Ross Perot was cultivating that led uh, to that happening, at least for a few years in the late 1990s. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as you get into uh, the 2000s, uh, Ross Perot uh, uh, continues to advocate for different things. Um, he is uh, eventually brought out to uh, testify in the Texas legislature for the need for computers in public schools mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the need uh, for lower income schools to have access to laptops for every student and uh, uh, what uh, he would personally be willing to do to achieve that. Um, one of the, the greatest stories that there comes from Ross Perot, uh, I read uh, when Governor Rick Perry um, posted it after Ross Perot mm -hmm. died. And he talks about a, a soldier uh, who uh, was in uh, Iraq and uh, he was shot uh, and uh, he was uh, critically injured and was uh, brought back to Texas. He was from Texas. And uh, the mother uh, did not have enough money to make sure that uh, she could be there with her son. And Rick Perry knew that there was only one person that he could call, and that was Ross mm -hmm. Perot. And Ross Perot made sure that the soldier got the best uh, a surgeon in Texas uh, to take care Aww. of him and uh, put the mother up in a hotel right across the street. Uh, he got them a custom uh, van uh, with a wheelchair lift mm. uh, and uh, made, said, if there's anything that you ever need, you only have to call Ross Perot and I will get whatever you mm. need um, made sure that when checkups were needed in Walter Reed in Washington, DC, that they had um, an airplane to take them there, a custom ambulance to get them to the hospital. Um, really uh, the, 
we will never truly know uh, how much uh, Ross Perot gave to uh, men and women, everyday men and women across this nation and across mm-hmm. the world. Uh, millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would just write checks uh, uh, to take care of these people. Um, Ross Perot uh, would uh, pass away in July of 2019 from leukemia. Mm-hmm. Um, his uh, estimated wealth in 2019 was $4.1 billion. Wow. Uh, to have come from the roots that he mm-hmm. had uh, as a poor boy in Texarkana, Texas, uh, selling uh, bridles for $3.50, mm-hmm. uh, to have achieved all of that, he credits a lot of it with being lucky, uh, that he was very lucky, that uh, he was lucky that there was an IBM executive who showed up on his uh, aircraft carrier and offered him a mm-hmm. job. He was lucky that he got into the Navy Academy in the mm-hmm. first place after three rounds of trying. Uh, he f- credited a lot of his success with luck, but a lot of it had to do with his own hard work mm-hmm. and determination. Yes, And... Uh, there is a a large legacy that he has left behind. If you look at uh, the 2016 election, there are a lot of things between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump uh, where they tapped into the populism of Ross mm-hmm. Perot, um, of people from uh, uh, vastly different backgrounds and political ideals uh, coming together who are upset with the status quo, with the establishment. Um, it would be amazing to see what Ross Perot could have done if he had social media, um, if he had Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Um, He was talking about in 1992 that if he got elected president, he was going to have these telephone town halls Mm -hmm. where as the president, he was going to be manning the Mm -hmm. phones and taking phone calls from people all across Mm -hmm. the nation to figure out if there are any good ideas on how to run the Mm -hmm. nation. Uh, now we don't need nope. that. We have our own mm-hmm. phones and we can instantly beam messages uh, to uh, whoever, uh, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it just would have been uh, really interesting uh, uh, to have seen uh, what he could have done uh, with that, the access to that technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a person who was so interested in technology to begin with, uh, selling computers to everyone mm-hmm. um, and recognizing the potential of them. Uh, so uh, a, a very interesting, a very quirky, a very um, uh, a fascinating person. Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of what you hit on in this uh, describes him very wow. well. Uh, there was a lot of emotion yes. that was channeled into the business and then the business channeled into the yes. emotion. I think of all of the signs, um, I think that uh, the crabbiness of the <laughs> cancer describes him very well. Yes. Wow, that is amazing because I, I, I really... <laughs> I was very lost and I was like, what is this person? Because I know it's a person in history, but I'm like, who is this nurturing and giving, you know? And then it's like, you can look at this, look at the way this is set up. This is all opposition, right? But it looks like a tuning fork. You know what I mean? So it's like the business feeding the nurturing and the nurturing feeding the business back and forth, right? But then you have the 12th house, which I said is a prison. It can be a prison or hospital. 
And here he's communicating all about this. And Jupiter is there and the sun and his who he is, you know, he's so connected to this. And then sending all of these things to the people, right? Groups of people sending all of these things to it. And his determination, his North Node in Taurus, you can't stop a Taurus. There is no stopping a Taurus. Just let them do it because you're not going to stop them, you know? And then you have this, uh, uh, sometimes I just need to go to the baseline of what things are because Uranus is technology, technology in the career, right? A technological mm -hmm. warrior in the career, right? It's just right there. It's right there. And then the creative, um, almost dogmatic, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Um, philosophy, okay? His, his philosophy of how things need to be and how they need to be done, you know, the right way. It's very interesting, just so interesting. And then this whole Navy thing, the work, work, Virgo is work in the water, work in the water. Sometimes it's just so simple, work in the water, <laughs> you know, it's very cool. And, and, and his ability with money and, ah, oh, just really, wow, that's amazing. I, I. I um have to say that is that is really interesting and I'm I'm really glad you chose him because I liked him. I liked him a lot. I I really I have to say I mean I don't want to get political ever on the show but I liked him. I did his his ideas made sense but the downhearted part of it was that I you know I could see what he was saying. I think a huge you know portion of the country could see what he was saying but it was all like yeah they're never gonna let him do that but yeah Chandler that's awesome very very well done thank you mm -hmm. uh well I think uh on our uh, scale of right on the money to way out in outer space this is uh right on the money <laughs> this is uh, who uh who Prospero wow. was uh, well, uh, that concludes uh, this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to reach out and support the show, we have all of the links to our social media uh, posted in the show description. Uh, we also have a link to our PayPal account. Uh, every little bit helps us in creating a better quality show and uh, expanding our audience. Uh, and if you would like to be your very own uh, Mystery History guest, uh, we can make that happen. Uh, just reach out to Chandler's Mom at historyandretrograde.com, and uh, you can get with Mom, and she will uh, talk to you about uh, uh, having uh, your chart read or the chart of uh, someone uh, special or get a sinistry chart chart between the two of you or uh as uh, i always like to point out uh, the chart of your pet as well <laughs> yes yes absolutely please contact me the thing is is um it's i'm having so much fun with you guys so much i have more people to talk about and uh discuss things with and 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 uh, we're going to be building the website. The website is historyinretrograde.com. Uh, it's just up right now. It's not quite built the way we want it to be yet, but it's there. And you can email me from there. And you can also donate from there if you want 
want to. And you can uh, get all the links to all of the places where you can hear the show from there. And uh, I also update um, as often as I can with the places where I'm going to be in person on the Facebook page. So um, I hope you guys will come see me. Uh, and uh, if you're uh, not in the area and you uh, cannot see us in person, then uh, just know that uh, we're happy to uh, have you listen to us from wherever you are in this great nation and around this wonderful world. Uh, so uh, thank you all so much for listening. And as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. And thank you guys for being there. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.